Yeah, summer, lots of you will be harvesting over summer, won't you? Sorry? Bouldering. Bouldering. Oh, of course. <laughs> going interstate. Going interstate. Uh, will you be allowed to? Yeah, Good. No Just going home. That'll be nice, won't it? Seeing family. <laughs> yeah, other summer plans? Weddings. Uh, other people's weddings. Very good. <laughs> All right, well, there's lots of uh, exciting stuff happening in there. So let me pray for us, and uh, we'll, we'll dig into the last chapter of Hebrews. Let's pray. Father, thank you very much that you, uh, you do speak to us in your scriptures. And uh, by your spirit, please help us understand what you have to say to us. And please help us know how to live the Christian life this summer. Amen. I've got some great summer plans. Uh, we're going to move house. We're moving to uh, Gobba Gumbalan. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> it's gonna, not going to be restful, I suppose, though, is it? We've, um, we've started planning ahead. We've started packing already. Um, I've already started packing up our bookshelves. I'll do a little bragging. Here's a picture of my... See my uh, nice little stack of boxes. That's the most that we've done so far. <laughs> Yep, those three boxes, the extent of our packing. And uh, there's not even a dent in the bookshelves. Look at that. I don't even... Not... <laughs> it's pretty demoralising. You could say we're off to a strong start. Summer plans. You've got to plan your summers, I think. Otherwise, you waste them. Otherwise, you end up uh, without a job, or without a trip planned, and uh, without friends around. And then all of a sudden, you're back at uni for another semester. Oh... You've got to plan your summers, otherwise you waste them. You've got to plan to follow Jesus over summer, otherwise you waste your chance. Summer plans. Are you planning on following Jesus over summer? Well, Hebrews chapter 13 will help you uh, make some solid summer plans for following Jesus over summer. Now, the burden of, of Hebrews has been to convince us to hang in there with Jesus hang in there with Jesus and specifically the argument has been that we shouldn't revert back to Old Testament religion because Jesus is much better than that. Jesus in fact fulfills all that. So all those instructions in the Old Testament law, um, they don't make you worthy of God. No, he gives you grace even uh, when you're not worthy. He gives you grace freely in Jesus. And uh, so the key question at this point in the book, as we come to the last chapter, our key question is, well, if we don't follow the Old Testament law, how do we live then? Uh, if we don't have the Old Testament priesthood, who do we follow then? And uh, if we don't make sacrifices at the temple anymore, what sacrifices do we make? Essentially, the question is, under the new covenant, under the new covenant, how do I please God? That's the question for chapter 13. Living under the new covenant, how do I please God? Well, chapter 13 will answer it. It's about loving the right things, following the right people, and making the right sacrifices to God. Uh, but you do these things equipped by God, equipped by him as he works in you. Uh, so here's our, our outline, your outline as well as in your subject guide. We start at point one, equipped by God. Equipped by God. We're starting, in fact, at the end of the chapter. Verses 21, 20 and 21, we'll start there because this um, benediction at the end of the book, it actually gives us the framework of grace within which to understand all of these instructions. Uh, this is how to understand the new covenant life. 
Uh, in fact, well, actually, let's start at the very, very end, the very last verse, verse 25. Verse 25, grace be with you all. Grace be with you all. That's what we need. That's what we need, God's grace, his free gifts given to the unworthy. New covenant life is lived by grace, not to earn grace. We need to lock this in early, otherwise we'll get the, the Christian life all back to front. New covenant life is lived by grace, not to earn grace. We can only love, follow, sacrifice as God equips us to do so. Imagine trying to harvest a field without any equipment. No, it doesn't work. May the God of peace, what does he say, verse 21? May the God of peace, verse 21, equip you with everything good to do his will. This is what the author prays for his readers because this is what he knows God will do for them and he knows that they need it. Uh, God equips us to do the work of the Christian life in knowing, living and speaking the gospel. That's what God equips us to do. God equips uh, and uh, God himself also works. God equips us to work. God himself also works in us to produce disciples who know, live and speak the gospel. We'll pick it up in verse 21. Uh, may the God of peace equip you with everything good to, to do his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight. God equips us to work, but he also works in us. The Christian life is one where we work, but also where God works in us. It's not like oil and water. These two things do actually go together. They are compatible. Uh, and doesn't it take the pressure off? It takes the pressure off. If you're finding it hard to hang in there in the Christian life, know that God not only equips you to live the Christian life, but he also works in you to complete what he started. It'll be slow, probably be painful, but hang in there. And remember that new covenant life is lived by grace, not in order to earn grace. You're secure in Christ, secure in Christ because of his grace to you, even if it feels like the, the Christian life is a battle that you're losing at the moment. So that's the framework of grace. We need to understand the framework of grace in order to properly understand all of these instructions that we get in chapter 13. So let's come back to the beginning now and we'll get to point two, which is love. Point two, which is love. And we'll take verses one to six under this heading, because uh, in these verses, new covenant life is a life that is ordered or directed at the correct loves. Um, under the new covenant, we are to be people who love the right things. We all love things. Some things we should love. Some things we shouldn't love. Uh, oh, don't make the mistake, though, that thinking the Old Testament law is, is obsolete now. Um, and that all we do is love instead. Uh, uh, what does Jesus say are the two most important commandments? Love your God and love your neighbour. Uh, when we read through Leviticus earlier this year, I think we saw that all of the Old Testament law was fulfilled in the command to love. The law was always about love. So here, New Covenant Christianity is also about love. Okay. Here are some things that we should love. Number one... Our Christian family. Our Christian family. Look at verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. 
let brotherly love continue. This is the kind of love that you have for your brother or your sister. I think specifically here, your Christian brother or your sister, it's family love. And it's uh, right to show love to your Christian brothers and sisters. It's right to pray for them. It's right to cook food for them. It's right to keep in contact over summer. Uh, The first thing that New Covenant Christians should love, Christian family. Christian family. The second thing that we should love, strangers. It's strangers. Look at verse 2. Don't neglect to show hospitality. The word we translate hospitality is more literally stranger love. Love of strangers. Hospitality is better translation, but brotherly love, stranger love. New Covenant Christians show love to strangers. We do so by being hospitable. Uh, uh, don't think of hospitality as a, a TAFE course that you do, or um, it's not entertaining having someone over for dinner. Uh, one commentator on Hebrews, Michael Kruger, makes this distinction. Hospitality is not about having a good time, but it's about meeting a need. Hospitality is not about having a good time, but it's about meeting a need. So over summer, uh, over summer, what needs will you encounter? What needs will you encounter over summer? Verse 3 gives us a, a confronting way to show hospitality. Look at verse 3. Remember those in prison, as though you were in prison with them, and the mistreated, as though you yourselves were suffering bodily. And I think this instruction has in mind particularly those Christians who have been put in prison for being Christian. That was relatively common in the first century world. Uh, but, uh, or more common in the first century world than in Australia today at least, isn't it? But uh, see the principle. We are to love those who it can be hard to love. We are to love those who it can be hard to love. Over summer, what needs will you encounter? What, uh, don't just let it be a holiday. Can you uh, love your brothers and sisters? Can you love strangers and show hospitality? The third thing that we're to love, the third thing we're to love is marriage. Verse 4, marriage is to be honoured by all and the marriage bed kept undefiled because God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterers. Marriage, marriage is to be honoured. Think about what Hebrews 13 is saying here. Uh, when, you, when you love marriage and you love your brothers and sisters, you won't sleep with someone you're not married to. When you love strangers and you love marriage, uh, you won't look at porn. You won't, uh, your eyes won't wander when you spend time at the beach. Marriage is to be honoured. New Covenant Christians should love brothers and sisters, strangers, marriage, But New Covenant Christians should not love, what is it? It's money. New Covenant Christians should not love, verse 5, money. Verse 5, keep your life free from the love of money. Some things we should love, some things we shouldn't love. And we shouldn't love money. Now don't get me wrong here, money is great. Money is useful for a whole bunch of different things. Um, uh, we can use money to love others well, can't we? But when we start loving money for itself, that's dangerous. When we start loving money for itself, uh, you love money because (laughs) you love the stuff that money can get you. You love money because you love the friends 
that money can get you. Money can give you security. We all love to feel secure. But New Covenant Christians shouldn't love money because we don't need it. We don't need it. We don't need the stuff that it can get us. We don't need the people that it can get us. We don't need the security that money can provide. And, well, why is that? It's because we have God himself. We have God himself. Pick it up in verse 5. Be satisfied, he says, with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. Therefore, we may boldly say, he's quoting the psalm we started tonight with, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Well, we have security in the Lord. When you love money, you don't love God. A lot of you will earn some good money over summer. Why do you want to do that? Some of you need to, obviously. It's very easy, though, to, uh, when the money starts flowing into your bank account, it's very easy to start loving that money. Trust me on this one. Now, do you love money? Is uh, that why you're working over summer? Or perhaps a better investment would be to come to NTE instead of working? Perhaps, obviously, some of you need money to live, right? But what does the scripture say? Be satisfied with what you have. For you have the Lord Jesus. You have the Lord Jesus, and he will never leave you or forsake you. You don't need to love money. You have Jesus. You don't need to love money. So, okay, New Covenant Christians love brothers and sisters, strangers, marriage, not money. New Covenant Christians don't love money. And we do so, we do all of this in the framework of grace. Remember, we do so as God has equipped us to and as God works this in us to correctly um, direct what we love, to correctly direct our loves towards what is pleasing to him. This is how we should be spending our summer. Now, that's point two. Point three, follow. Now, New Covenant Christians follow godly leaders. Um, uh, this might be a question for the first readers of, of Hebrews. If we don't have the Old Testament priesthood anymore, who do we follow? Well, verse 7, remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you. Uh, at Uni Church, uh, your leaders are formerly, I suppose, the staff team, the student committee, your growth group leaders. And uh, Hebrews 13 gives you three ways to follow your leaders over summer. Number one, imitate their faith. Imitate their faith. Verse 7 again. Remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you. As you carefully observe the outcome of their lives, imitate their faith. Oh, if you aspire to be a leader, if you want to be a leader, here's a question for you. Would it be a good thing if people imitated you? Would it be a good thing? Oh, that's a hard one. That's a hard one. Now, remember the framework of grace here. God is equipping us to do his will and working in us what is pleasing to him. And uh, Hebrews 13, it's not addressed to the leaders. It's addressed to the congregation. Imitate your leaders. But what if they're bad leaders? That's my question. What if they're bad leaders? Are we to imitate 
their sins and idiosyncrasies. Well, no, read verse 7 carefully. As you carefully observe the outcome of their lives, that is, be discerning about what you imitate. Verse 7, imitate their faith, and not their sin, not their personality, their faith. Your leaders will fail you. Now, I will fail you. Kate will fail you. Your growth group leaders will fail you. The committee, they will fail you. Don't imitate our failures. Whatever God works in us, though, imitate that. Don't imitate love of money. Imitate right love. Imitate joy. Imitate peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Imitate those things. Imitate those things. Who are you imitating? Who do you imitate? I hope you know, because whoever you are imitating, that is who you are becoming. In uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Oh, yes, that is who you should be imitating. People who copy Christ, copy them. Copy them. Imitate the faith of your leaders. That's the first way to uh, follow your leaders over summer. The second way is to, verse 17, obey them. Verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them. Oh, this is hard, isn't it? Because we are freedom-loving Aussies and we obey no one for a start. And, oh, I want to be very careful here because Hebrews 13 is addressed to the congregation, not to the leaders. It's, it's not up to Christian leaders to make anyone obey them or make anyone submit to them. Leaders must not coerce. Leaders must never abuse. Do you hear me? Leaders must never abuse anyone. And it's very easy to abuse this instruction. It's a red flag if a church leader ever tells you that you need to submit to them. Now, this is not to say, this is not to say that you uh, never have to submit to church leadership. You don't have a free pass to do whatever you want. You need to heed the scriptures. Uh, this is a fine line I'm trying to tread here. <laughs> Please hear me with generosity. And uh, if I'm not being clear, ask me in question time. But see the purpose of this obedience. The purpose of this obedience is meant, it's meant to be profitable to the congregation. You're meant to obey your leaders because it is profitable to the congregation. Uh, verse 17, pick it up again in verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? Since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Oh, it's hard to be a leader. And uh, why do they do that? So that. Oh, this is why you should submit to them. So that they can do this with joy and not with grief. For that would be unprofitable for you. Obey your leaders so you don't give them grief so they can stay focused on serving you. I think that is the, the logic here. The obedience is meant to be for your good. If a church leader tells you to obey them and it's not to your profit or for your good, then, then run. Run. And uh, 
Oh, look, if you have concerns about any of the leaders at Unichurch, then I think that we have the structures in place to deal with those concerns. Uh, let me tell you how to raise some concerns. Um, uh, if it's appropriate, and, you've, and you're concerned about a leader at Unichurch, if it's appropriate, um, go and speak to them, because it might just be a misunderstanding. Uh, if you have a concern about a student leader, speak to the staff team. If you have a concern about someone on the staff team who's not me, come and speak to me, because now Steve's gone, I'm the team leader, of the, uh, the staff team leader. Uh, but if you have a concern about me, well, uh, be assured that there are, there are people, there are structures in place, and uh, I have a boss, and it's Seno from CSU Bathurst, and he's a scary man. <laughs> you can contact him directly, uh, you can go through the student committee, you can go through Kate. Uh, if you have concerns about the leadership of Christian Fellowship and Unichurch, look, Hebrews 13 is strong, isn't it? That you are to imitate your leaders, that you are to obey and submit to your leaders. And so, friends, we want good leadership in place. So if you have concerns about the leadership of Christian Fellowship or Unichurch, if you have concerns, please raise those concerns. You should never feel that you can't raise concerns about leadership. You should never feel that it's not worth it. In fact, Kate and I have, uh, as part of our employment, we have three yearly staff reviews, which we are doing at the moment. Uh, we want your input. We have a great... We want to have a great team of leaders who serve you for your profit. For your profit. That is the goal. Imitate your leaders. Obey your leaders. And thirdly, pray for them. Uh, if you're going to imitate your leaders, if you're going to obey your leaders, how could you not pray for them? How could you not ask God to equip them and to work in them by his grace to produce a, a harvest of righteousness that is pleasing to him? Uh, verse 18, pray for us. For we are convinced that we have a clear conscience wanting to conduct ourselves honourably in everything. Please pray for your leaders. That's enough said about that. Uh, New Covenant Christians, imitate their leaders, obey their leaders, and pray for their leaders. Uh, but now time is getting away from us, so we need to get to the theological heart of this chapter, and it's point four, and it's sacrifice. If we no longer have the Old Testament sacrificial system anymore, then do we need to make any sacrifices? The answer is yes. Yes. Ah, but they're not animal sacrifices, and they don't make us holy because Jesus himself is the perfect sacrifice that has already been made once and for all. Now, verse 11, we're in verse 11 of chapter 13, and verse 11 recalls Leviticus 16. We read that earlier, and it tells us what had to happen to the sacrificial animals in Leviticus 16. You might have noticed in chapter 16 of Leviticus what he says in verse 11 of Hebrews 13. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the most holy place by the high priest as a sin offering are burned, where? Outside the camp. And then just as those animals are burned outside the camp, outside the city, well, so too Jesus is sacrificed on a cross outside the walls of Jerusalem. Verse 12, Therefore, 
Jesus also suffered outside the gate so that he might sanctify the people by his own blood. Outside the city means he is an outcast. Jesus is killed in disgrace. But uh, well, chapter 12, just one page back, that told us to run the, run the race with endurance, looking to Jesus, following in his footsteps. And so verse 13, let us then go out to him outside the camp, bearing his disgrace. Oh, this is uh, heavy, isn't it? Let us associate ourselves with a disgraced Lord. And we can do so because actually Jesus, his disgraceful death as a sacrifice, it is actually the key that opens up to us an eternal city. Verse 14, for we do not have an enduring city here. Instead, we seek the one to come. This sacrifice, what grace it is from the Lord of all things, who is the same yesterday, today and forever, the eternal Lord, what grace that he would die instead of us. This is the theological heart of the book of Hebrews, of this chapter, um, this sacrifice once and for all. So we don't need to sacrifice animals at the temple anymore. So what should we do instead? Verse 15, therefore, because of the sacrifice of Jesus, therefore, through him, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise, that is, the fruit of lips that confess his name. The sacrifice we offer in the new covenant is uh, a sacrifice of praising the name of the Lord Jesus and his grace to us. That's what new covenant Christians offer, praise. And uh, what do you think of when you think of praise? Don't just think of singing in church. No, uh, Praise is speaking the name of Jesus far and wide in the classroom and on the farm, in church, at the pub. Praise him. Praise him. And also, do what is good. Verse 16, don't neglect to do what is good and to share. For God is pleased with such sacrifices. Oh, you want to know how to please God over summer? (laughs) Well, as he equips you, and works in you to produce what is pleasing to him, you will do good and you will share and you will praise him for his grace to you in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's hard to love money and share, isn't it? But it's also hard to uh, not love your brothers and sisters and not share. All within the framework of grace. New covenant life, remember, new covenant life is lived by grace not to earn grace. And by his grace, God has given us plenty of ways to know, live and speak the gospel over summer. So lock in some summer plans, friends, and let God work in us all what is pleasing in his sight. In a minute, I'll uh, I'll, uh, take some questions. Uh, If you want to, if you're on the live stream and you have a question, text it to... Kate, to Kate Lischke, is that right? Not Kate Hodgson? <laughs> Text it to Kate and she'll ask. Uh, but first, let's offer up a sacrifice of praise in song as we reflect, to, uh, reflect on God's grace to us in the Lord Jesus Christ.
Uh, well, friends, uh, this is your last chance to ask a question about the book of Hebrews. <laughs> uh, if uh, you do have a question or it's not fully formulated or you uh, don't want to ask it out loud, you can uh, follow the QR code and that will take you to a Google form that you can fill out and uh, I'll get back to you during the week. Um, oh, during the week, Kate and I will be away at a midi conference planning meeting with uh, the staff from Bathurst and uh, everyone's favourite CSU staff, Greg Blanche, Matt's dad, will be away uh, on Thursday and Friday. Um, but uh, we'll be coming for you as you sit exams. Uh, okay, any questions on uh, Hebrews 13 or the rest of Hebrews? Rit? Oh, Karis? Um, I'll ask one. <laughs> So verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Uh, at, at what point am I free from giving an account for you? Is yeah. that what you're asking? At what point do I not have to worry if you're broken or not? Uh, <laughs> um, I don't know. I've never had to give an account for anyone yet. Um, but I expect to... Um, uh, you know what, I suspect that, um, that that might even be the wrong question to ask. I don't know if you graduate and all of a sudden you're not my problem anymore and it doesn't, you know, I don't care what happens to you. That's not how it works. I'll always care what happens to you. And uh, um, I don't think this is saying that your, your, leaders, your, leaders, <laughs> your youth group leader is responsible for what you do when you're 50 years old. I don't think that's what it means. I think it means that... Um, uh, your leaders have a particular burden of responsibility, and we feel it uh, for for everyone. Uh, it's, it's almost not about you; it's about your leaders. I think. Uh, have I misunderstood the question, or, or does that answer it? No. Okay, yeah, that's a good question. Thanks. Is anyone else before Karis asks another one? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, maybe. Why does he bring in eating ceremony? Oh, verse 9 and 10. Yeah, I didn't really talk about this, did I? So uh, what's the deal with verse 9 and 10? Uh, verse uh, 7 and 17, he gives instructions about leaders. That seems to be the bread of the sandwich. And in the middle is uh, the, the, the meat about Jesus. And so I think we're um, in the realm of leadership. But one reason that he's concerned about how they treat their leaders is, verse 9, don't be led astray by various kinds of strange teachings. Because there are leaders who are teaching strange things. And um, uh, let's keep reading verse 9. Um, for it is good for the heart to be established by grace and not by food regulations. 
uh, I think uh, he's drawing the distinction between the old covenant and the new covenant. Um, uh, you're not established by food regulations, you're established by grace. And he's clarifying, I think, the, uh, the kinds of false teaching or strange teaching that his readers are encountering. And uh, food regulations do nothing since those who observe them have not benefited. Uh, verse 10, we have an altar from which those who worship at the tabernacle, recalling Leviticus, do not have a right to eat if, you, if your religion is a Leviticus 16 religion and you're eating from the uh, priests in the... The priests could eat from the... the uh, what does it say? The altar. The priests could eat from the altar. Uh, if your religion is a Leviticus 16 religion, uh, you do not have a right to eat from um, the altar the altar that Christians do. I'm going to guess he's referring to the cross. Uh, if, uh, if your religion is, an, is, is a Leviticus 16 religion only, uh, then you do not share in the cross, I think. And then you do not share in grace. And uh, as we see, that is of fundamental importance because uh, grace is given to us, uh, you know, regardless of what sacrifices we offer at the altar. Uh, the sacrifice is offered by Jesus. In fact, the sacrifice is Jesus. And uh, I think, that, uh, so he's concerned particularly to, uh, to, at the very end of the letter, warn them about uh, who they're listening to and who they're following. Um, uh, yes, is it a new covenant religion or an old covenant religion? And then uh, in, from verse 11 onwards, he uh, contrasts uh, the old covenant with the new covenant. I think the old covenant is fulfilled, he shows, in Jesus. Um, so even though it is disgraceful for Jesus to die the death that he did, well, that's what saves us. So let's, let's hold fast to him. Um, yeah. Anyone over this side of the room? Or, uh, or online? Okay. <laughs> and if so, Yeah. Uh, verse two. Oh, yeah. We didn't really talk about the angels, which you pointed out to me during the week that uh, Hebrews starts with angels and finishes with angels, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> verse two. Don't neglect to show hospitality. For why? For by doing this, some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. Wouldn't that be a surprise? Um, uh, I think he's referring to Genesis chapter 18 and 19. Um, this is uh, something that we read um, uh, was it last year when we uh, did this part of Genesis at Uni Church. Yes, it was during lockdown, wasn't it? Uh, Abraham, Genesis chapter 18, Abraham welcomes three men. Uh, verse 2 of chapter 18. When he saw them, he ran from the entrance of the tent to meet them, bowed to the ground and said... My Lord, if I have found favour with you, please do not go on past your servant. Let a little water be brought so that you may wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. I will bring a bit of bread so that you may strengthen yourselves. Uh, there are these three men that Abraham finds and shows hospitality to them. They turn out to be angels, messengers of God. And uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't know it. And, uh, and then something similar happens in chapter 19 to uh, Abraham's nephew, Lot. He welcomes uh, two of these angels 
into his house and he doesn't know who they are. So I think that's what uh, Hebrews is referring to there. I don't, uh, I don't know if it necessarily follows that it is a good thing to welcome angels particularly. I think he's just recalling an Old Testament story and giving you one reason why it's uh, good to show hospitality to, to strangers, to people that you don't know, or um, just because you don't know them, you can't make any judgment about them, can you? They, they could be angels. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if he's actually saying they could genuinely be messengers from God that you're genuinely offering hospitality to. I think he's recalling an Old Testament story like he does for the, the 12 chapters before this one. Uh, um, but what was... <laughs> I've kind of avoided your question. Was the question, are there, are there angels wandering around masquerading as people? I don't know. <laughs> I've never met one. I, I met a man once at St. James Ballinger, who will go on into the admission. He told me that he'd met angels, um, but he was definitely hallucinating because of his description of them. Uh, so if you want to find out where to meet angels, maybe you need to come on into your mission to St. John's Darling House. Uh, <coughs> uh, I think maybe I should leave it there. That's a good question. Okay, maybe I'll go one more question. One more question. Last chance for a Hebrews question. Going twice. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, gone then. Uh, okay, Hebrews is finished. And uh, uh, before we finish, we pray for us. And pray together. Loving Father, thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ, our great high priest who always stands to intercede for us and who offered himself as the one perfect sacrifice for sins. Father, we can do nothing but praise you for your grace to us in our Lord Jesus. And this summer, may we live to your praise and glory in all that we do. Amen.